Oh, yeah. Hey, good morning. Welcome. Great to see you. Uh, I'm Steve. I'm part of the, the team here. We're going to open the Word and, and just do some teaching before we come back to pray and worship. If you are a guest here, you're, you're really welcome. There are some I, I don't recognize, and maybe that's just because I don't recognize you. Um, but, uh, but also, we just want you to know you're very welcome. Please complete one of our Connect cards. We'd love to stay in touch. Uh, I know as well there are people with us always every week on, on YouTube. We want you to know you're part of this too. The same God we've been uh, worshipping and singing about and, and uh, telling stories about. He, he can work in your life as well today, whether you're here in the room, whether you're with us on YouTube live, or if you're watching this at some point somewhere else in the week, um, the same God can, can move. So let me hear an amen, please. Amen, that's good. Um, can, I, can I just encourage you? I, I think we're just taking a step out for Maundy Thursday. Dave put the graphic up earlier. Um, and it was so lovely hearing their story right at the start of the meeting of those two incredible breakthroughs, the healing uh, story of this lady who's not been out of a room for three years. 16 months, sorry. I've doubled it already. It's the preacher's license. Um, uh, just wonderful. We've seen some amazing healing breakthroughs over the years, but we're just trusting God again for a new, uh, a new season of that. And so Maundy Thursday, we will have a healing service, for want of a better word. We're going to gather people specifically just to talk about Jesus and to pray for anyone who's sick. We'll pray for anyone who comes, if you want to bring a friend. Um, family member, but equally as well from this building, and, and you're welcome to join in as well. We, we have, I don't know, a thousand people a week on a busy week that come in and out of this building and the cafe and the business that we run here, and we're just going to engage with them over the next 10, 12 days to say, if, if you want prayer, fill in one of these, and we will pray for you or someone that you care about, uh, whether you come along or whether we just see some names on the card. So I just want to ask you to engage with us. If God's given you any measure of faith to grow in seeing the sick healed and the kingdom of God advance through uh, healing miracles that point to Jesus, then please pray as we run up to that Thursday night, just 10, 12 days away. Um, please ask God how he could use you. Um, please pray for the sick in between now and then. You're allowed to have a, have a, a running start. Uh, and, uh, and if you want to engage with either of these cards or by bringing some along, someone along or coming ready to pray for people, then please do that. Wow. Uh, we're going to continue in this uh, dynasty series, um, building kingdom families. We've been looking at the life of, of David uh, and uh, just seeing how his life helps us grow kingdom families in this next generation. Um, let me just read and, and turn with me, please, if you have your, your Bibles, um, either a paper one like mine or maybe some of you got them on your, on your phones. Um, 1 Samuel 22. I'm just... I'll, I'll, Maybe just give you some context in a moment. But David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam, where his brothers and his father's household heard about it. They went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. I just want to tell you today, I've entitled this message, The Cave. Every one of us will enter the cave at some point in our lives. Some of us will visit the cave more than once. The question is not, why am I trapped here? What am I doing here? 
the better question is, who am I going to be when I emerge from the cave? What is God forming and shaping in me uh, while I'm here? Do I come out even more deeply rooted in my identity in Christ or not? They're the questions that we're going to ask. So welcome to the cave, ladies and gentlemen. Lord, we, we thank you for speaking to us this morning. We thank you for starting the morning with an incredible breakthrough, two incredible breakthrough stories. We thank you. You truly are our refuge, our hiding place, but a place from which we emerge confident in your strength and your ability to see us through. Lord, will you come to every heart this morning, everyone in this room, everyone who's with us online, and we invite you, Lord, to bring your strength and your your hope and your life to us in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Wow. Do you know, it's so often in the scriptures we see those who are called by God, anointed by God for great things, having to wait, um, having to work through doubt, having to work through apparent failure, um, having to live within some quite tight limitations before they come into their inheritance and their full assignment uh, in, in the Lord. Um, I, I think it's true that the waiting actually and the limits really are part of the assignment. They're a vital part of the assignment. If we miss that, we've missed something. If we're just trying to get out the other side to the light at the end of the tunnel, we're missing what God is doing right now. Just have a little wave at me. Is anyone agreeing with me there? Uh, it's not a nice thing to have to agree with, but it's true. Uh, and uh, God is working in the limitations. Look, You know the heroes of the scriptures, some of you will know, Abraham and Moses and Joseph. Here, the story of the life of David, these limitations. Later on in the New Testament, you find even the Apostle Paul had to go through this season of being out of the way while God was doing something in him. They're all examples of God forming faith and obedience in us whilst we're in the cave. And for David here, it looks like, uh, it looks like failure, doesn't it? Um, all, all the forces, all the systems of, of the king, Saul, are against David. Um, last time I was on my feet here two weeks ago, um, we looked at the friendship deep friendship between uh, David and his friend Jonathan. And at the end of, um, uh, at the end of uh, chapter 20 into chapter 21, David flees Saul. He leaves his friend Jonathan. Now we find in chapter 21, David is alone. He's on the run. Um, he's afraid for his life. He's got no food. He hasn't even got a weapon. This guy's a soldier. He's been commanding Saul, one part of Saul's army. He has to go to the priest and, and he kind of lies. Or he does lie. He doesn't kind of lie. Uh, there's a preaching point for you. If you're making notes this morning, there is no kind of lie. You're either telling the truth or you're telling a lie. There we are. Let's be clear on that. David lies to the priest. I think he lies with good intention. He wants to protect those who are trying to help him from Saul's wrath. Uh, and you find he's not successful in that later on. Um, but he gets himself some bread that only the priest can eat. And he gets possession of the sword that he took off Goliath and chopped off Goliath's head with. I don't know how you sneak out with that down, your, down the back of your trousers. I don't think that's possible, but that's the sword he takes. He's been hiding then with the pagan king of Gath. In fact, David's afraid that they're seeing him as a threat as well. So he behaves like a madman while he lives with them. This is a very low point in David's life. Friends, we know the end of the story. We can say, oh, David, yeah, he was going to become king. David doesn't know that right now. He's living like a madman. He's trying to escape Saul. And now he comes and lives in a cave. 
The cave is the perfect stronghold. In the scriptures, we find the word stronghold used positively and negatively uh, in scripture. Often we'll talk about it in a stronghold in terms of some kind of trap uh, through sin in our lives or through demonic oppression that we get trapped in a, a stronghold. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul speaks about the divine power we have to pull down strongholds. But the word stronghold is also used positively in the scriptures. There's a, there's a flip side. What the enemy uses for harm, uh, God says, no, I'm your place of safety and refuge. I'm your stronghold. If you turn over a, a few pages and get yourself to uh, Psalm 57, you find uh, the soundtrack of this movie of David's life, uh, the film score. Um, if you read the little notes in your Bible, Psalm 57, for the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy. I don't know that one. It's a Psalm of David. When he had fled from Saul into the cave. So this, is, this, this gives us the insight into David's heart. We don't just get the story and the narrative and the kind of externals. We get to see what's going on in the man's heart. What does David say in Psalm 51 about this refuge, this stronghold? Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I take refuge. Do you know the cave of Adullam? The word Adullam in the Hebrew literally means refuge. How about that? This is a cave of refuge. This, you may have looked at David's life and circumstances and thought he is in a bad kind of stronghold right now. He's trapped in a cave. You go back in there, the enemy comes, there's no way out. David says, no, this is my place of refuge because I'm not just in a cave, but I'm in this greater cave, this place of refuge that is my God's protection. Hallelujah. This is the cave of refuge. It's a place of deep, honest questions. It's a place where we face up to pain. It's a place where our character is formed, where our future mission gets defined. Of course, it's a place where we say, God, where are you? Why aren't you working? Why don't you seem to hear me? What happened to your promises? All those are valid questions in the waiting. But what happens whilst we wait? Well, here in Psalm 57, we find David's heart. I love the, you can read this for your homework. I love the confidence David has in God here in Psalm 57. Um, listen, friends, if, if you're in a cave right now, um, wh whether it's other people that are causing you trouble, uh, sinfully against you, whether it's a mess of your own making, <laughs> or whether it's some demonic pressure on your life right now. If you're in a cave right now, Psalm 57 is a great help for us. Uh, I, lo I love the honesty of David. He speaks out the problem. Uh, verse 4, verse 6, he says, I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in the midst of lions. He's, he's thinking he's going to get torn apart. I'm in a trap. They've laid out nets. They've dug pits to catch me. But he doesn't just stay there talking about the problems that he faces. Verse 5, he begins to exalt God. Be exalted, O God. That's not a prayer you might expect to find when you're hiding in a cave using this picture language of being chased by lions. I love David's faith and confidence in God. Verse 2, I cry out to you, you will fulfill your purpose for me. That is an astonishing claim of David to make in prayer while he's in the cave, while he's on the run from Saul, while all the powers of the regime are against him. And some of you here know what it is to flee an ungodly regime, to be in the cave. In that moment, David, who's been anointed king by Samuel, but seems as far away from being king as it could ever possibly be for him, he says to God, I know you will fulfill the purpose and the plans that you have for me. Hallelujah. I don't know where you're, what you're facing right now. 
right now, but if God's spoken promises over you, and he has, by the way, if you're born again and in Christ, then you can speak to yourself and speak to your spirit like David does here and say, God, I know that you will fulfill your purpose for me. Verse 3, you will save me. You'll send your steadfast love and faithfulness. Well, is that a word for someone today who's in the cave? There is steadfast love and faithfulness that is being sent to you today. I love the way David speaks to his own spirit. I will take refuge, he says, until the storm passes. Verse 1. Verse 7. My heart is steadfast. In fact, he repeats it again. There's a, there's a good uh, principle to learn when you're praying away through a, through a fight, when you're in, backed into the corner of the cave. Just keep repeating the promises you know. And David says in, in verse 7, uh, my heart is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. It's repeated twice in this song. It, maybe he said it again and again. Um, there's something in that repetition where we're reminding ourselves, no, this is who I am in God. It's, it's not just the sum total of my circumstances, though they're very real. We're, we're, not, we're not in easy believism. We're not name it and claim it. We're not saying, hey, if I just repeat mantras enough times, then the darkness goes away. No, the darkness is very real, but my heart is steadfast. And I'm going to remind myself of the firmer foundation I stand on uh, beneath all this that I'm in right now. There's something about pulling down ungodly strongholds, taking every thought, every pretension, Paul says, captive. Uh, and when we repeat uh, the truth of our identity, something is, is done to pull down those strongholds. Every wrong idea, every lie, every fear that becomes a negative stronghold. Some of you have said over yourselves or it's been spoken over you, you will never or I will never or it won't ever. Those kinds of thoughts over your life. We, we pull down those pretensions. We remind ourselves, no God, my heart is steadfast. You will fulfill the plans you have for me. Uh, later on, we, and we, we read it, David becomes the commander over this ragtag bunch of of men. But I think before he became the captain of men, he became the captain again of his own heart. First he took control of his heart. He took authority in the inner man before he led other men. He took over every lie and every thought. Okay, there are some strongholds that we just have to take control over. We must tear them down. We, we need to destroy them and root them out. We, we cannot hide in them. And there are other truths that we hide ourselves very safely in uh, and th that we can think on and dwell on. So we face the facts, but we speak the truth. Uh, and, and David does that so well here. And, and I love, I'm preaching Psalm 57 now rather than 1 Samuel 22. But let's just stay here a moment. Sing verse 7. Who sings in a cave? Well, David does, and singing is good for us. David says, I'll sing to the people, I'll sing to the nations, I'll sing to you, God, I'll sing to my own spirit. David's singing everywhere he can in order to remind himself of what God is going to do. You see that same spirit later. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in the middle part of the jail, in the stocks, at midnight. They've already had a beating. They are probably expecting to lose their lives in the morning in front of the regime that they're facing in their day. But it says in Acts 16 that, that the other prisoners were kept awake by their loud hymn singing at midnight. And then every chain broke off. Wow, there's a different kind of singing when we're in the cave that we begin to open up as we lift our hearts to God in refuge. This is not the cave you're expecting. Someone's turned the lights on. It's suddenly got a bit brighter here. We get to enjoy the faithful love of God. I appreciate for some of you, it is so hard right now. If you feel backed into the corner, 
If you feel like you're in the darkness, but we remind ourselves there's a faithful, steadfast God. As David, David's singing about the nations here while his whole world is limited to a cave. God is doing something bigger than just my circumstances right now. Your life and mine are a part of it, but there's something greater going on. And, and while he's working that out, he's got you under the shelter of his wings. Hallelujah. Wow, praise God. So even in our lack, even in our struggle, hey, disciples, you are kingdom people. You can lift up your heads. Um, you, you can strengthen yourselves in God. You can still even now say yes to the king and to his assignments. You can still now expect Jesus to be exalted and glorified in your life, in and through us, even in the cave. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go back to uh, 1 Samuel 22. Listen, there are some things that show us in 1 Samuel that David's waiting in the cave is not passive. Anyone still with me? Well, I'm excited this morning. It's a good word. David's been called and anointed by Samuel to shepherd his people. Um, and so while he's in the cave, it should be no surprise that some things happen. First of all, in the waiting, David begins to live out his call as best he can. He's got these limits around him. Um, he's not got a palace to live in or a big army to command. But David chooses to live with the mindset of a king, even when he's in the cave. That's really important. T time and again in this dynasty series, we've noted um, our identity in God is what sustains us. Who he has said we are is what defines us through pressure and struggle and trials. And now for David, waiting and, and hugely limited. So uh, some of us need to stand up today when we pray in a moment and say with David, yeah, you will fulfill your purpose for me. And I'm going to live as though it's already in my hands, even though I don't yet see it. Maybe that's a word for someone this morning. Secondly, we see in David's waiting that these mighty men and women begin to gather to him. They're not called mighty at the time. We call them the mighty men because that's what they get called um, uh, uh, later on in, in 2 Samuel. Uh, but for now, or we'll come to what they're called in a few moments' time. It's extraordinary in this moment. David's in the cave. He's got these, these ragamuffins with him, but he continues to live like a king. He's, we read through in the next two, three chapters, David goes on these skirmishes. He's the one who's protecting the towns and the villages from the Philistine enemy, even though he's the one who's being hunted for his life by the king Saul. That's Saul's job to do that stuff. But Saul's abdicated his spiritual authority. David is living as though he's carrying it, and he is, even though it's not yet fully been given to him. David does what the true king should be doing, even though no one has yet given him that position. Uh, when, we, <laughs> when we first started out many years ago, now, uh, I, I, had, I, I used to write, even before we were married, when we were still teenagers, I, I began to learn to get up and, and pray and read my Bible in the morning and write some notes. And I used to write little sermon notes. I'd, I'd hate to read them back now, although they'd be much shorter than these ones. So there's some relief for you there. Um, but I, I, even when I didn't have anyone saying, will you preach, please? I, I began writing sermon notes. Uh, and I felt God was giving me some things to say. And I was bursting with opportunities to say it. I used to hang around at the front of meetings and hope somebody would say, have you got something to contribute? Uh, I used to be ready when I go to youth meetings and worship meetings and be ready to say something. I even played in a band. So I could kind of preach instead of doing an extra song. I just looked for every opportunity to carry forward the things that God was putting at my heart, even at that young uh, age. Listen, that there was no platform at that time. No one was looking to give me any kind of ministry, but the, the platform follows the private, that the kingship follows the cave. When you determine in my heart, I'm carrying something and I'm going to do the best that I can with it right now in the circumstances that I'm in. 
I had uh, somebody ask me this week, um, how, how did you know you were called to preach? I, I, honestly, I said, I, I don't quite remember now because I'm quite old, but I do remember uh, the answer to that question is I, I just started to preach. <laughs> I just started to preach uh, and uh, I kept talking <laughs> about Jesus. Uh, and so the opportunities grew uh, and the fruitfulness is there. And, and so the more opportunities come, that's how it was. Uh, and uh, maybe it's that way, maybe, maybe not preaching for you, but it may be something else that God has put on your heart or in your hands. Honestly, we look back now at some of our first years of church planning, 25 years or so ago, and it was so hard. I, if We would now characterize that as, as some cave years, I think, wouldn't we? Um, not months, but, but years. But honestly, we're so grateful now. The exploits that we learned from then, learning to lead people to Jesus, doing our first ever Alpha courses, wondering, is anyone going to show up? Um, we learn those in, in the cave. We learn to lead people to Jesus. We learn to heal the sick in those days. We learn to have a go. We learn to preach on the streets and talk to people. I made myself knock on doors and say, hello, can I talk to you about Jesus? Or is there anyone I can pray for? We learn to pray through the night. We learn to get up early with people and pray in the morning. We learn to try and bring kids into worship in all kinds of crazy ways. We, we learn to connect with God and pray about his heart for the nations. And we learned about building teams when we had to find £30 a week to hire a sticky floored community centre. We learned about working with refugees and God's heart for the poor. We learned about giving money away when we had so little compared to the resources that we have now together. We had so little experience or resource of anything at that time, but whilst we waited in the cave, we, we got on with what God had given us. Any strength that we now stand in, I think we look back and say it came from that time in the cave. I wonder how it is in your life. I suspect it will be the same. Our story is unique to us, but you will have your own stories of the cave. I love these little kingdom breaks that David and his men make in these chapters ahead. They're not massively significant in the scheme of, the, of overcoming the Philistines completely. But we, we shouldn't despise the little kingdom breaks. David out his little forays and back into hiding again. Hey, everything we've grown in now has grown from being faithful in the smaller things, doing the apparently insignificant, the hidden, the stuff nobody noticed, nobody applauded, nobody saw. It wasn't big church. It wasn't on Instagram, but we were faithful in some small things. And God now opens up greater measure. Let me hear an amen to that as well. That's true in our lives. Do you know, if you're looking for something to do, there's, there's no shortage of things to say, God, what have you put in my hands? We talk all the time about the 150,000 people that don't know Jesus, that live within a few minutes drive of this building. There are plenty of sick people that need Jesus to heal them. There are people under depression, struggling in their marriages. There are issues of social justice. There's, there's creativity in the arts. There's the prophetic ministry. There's care for the poor. There's strengthening in the church, there's plenty to say yes to God with, with what he's put in your heart and your hands whilst you wait in this cave. So please don't be passive. God's called us. Okay, while he's called me, while I'm waiting, I'll say yes to something that I've got and I'll pray and move. Honestly, I gave a notice earlier about Maundy Thursday, but I'm kind of carrying on my on my heart now. If there are some here, if there's a handful of people here that want to grow in praying for the sick, then say yes to me this morning. Come and help me, Monday, Thursday. If you want to lay hands on the sick, I'll do it with you. If you want to invite some friends, I'll invite some friends with you. It's easy. Jesus does the impossible part. He's the one that stretches out his hand to, to heal. We just get to say, yes, you may not feel ready. You may not feel you have enough, but full of the Holy Spirit, we just get to show up 
and see what Jesus will do. Wow, wonderful. That's how I started as a teenager with healing and deliverance. In, in my dad's church, the elders used to be down the front doing the kind of ministry time stuff, really important stuff, the elders with the special ministry rings and the, the diplomas on their walls. No, it wasn't like that. And, uh, but I, I, I would just go and hang out down the front, and when no one was looking, I'd lay hands on people and pray in tongues and see what would happen. Honestly, that's, what I, that's how I started. I just, just wanted to be involved and see what God might do. So I don't care if you pretend you're on the ministry team. You don't have to pretend. Come and see us and we'll help you grow. I love that David as well, let me move on, even in his waiting, he's developing and releasing others. We've said David's got the mindset of a king, even when he's uh, in a cave with his outlaws. It's kind of Robin Hood territory. But, but I, I love this spirit. We, I said uh, 2 Samuel 23, the, these, these outlaws get called mighty men and you read some of their exploits. Um, a whole book later on in 2 Samuel. They become mighty men who will do anything for David. So even under pressure, David is developing leaders. I wonder how it is for you in, in your workplace role, in your small group, in the ministry team that you're involved in. Who are you helping to grow? Um, we'll need a whole pile more small groups to make disciples come September. Who are you helping to grow so they'll be ready to lead in the next wave? We're ready for the next wave of, of leaders coming through in church leadership, some to strengthen the local church here and some to send beyond to other places. Who are we getting ready? The pressure never stops. It's, it's always on. There's always cave moments. If you're waiting for things to get easier or life to get a little smoother, it's not going to happen. But these are the perfect conditions for releasing uh, sons and daughters, men and women, in the call of God. Uh, truly, godly leadership is formed under pressure. I think you've got to carry assignments that have the potential, at least, to break you um, whilst you learn to trust in the Lord who daily lifts your burdens, as one of the psalm says. I don't think you can make true men and women of God who will lead in God's kingdom just by having meetings where you talk and drink coffee. I think, as we see with David's mighty men here, you need to put a sword in some people's hands and give them an adventure and a fight to go and run towards. I, I, I'm concerned. I think in our general, we spoke about this at the beginning of this dynasty series, our concern as we get to the second, third generation of our kinds of charismatic churches that we end up producing kind of weak leaders who don't really know how to fight again in this generation. I, I don't think we're going to serve our generation by producing soft men and women who are behind our laptops and our whiteboards and our strategies when the scriptures say the kingdom of God is at hand and forceful men and women take hold of it or they take hold of it forcefully. Um, wow. Soon after, and here's the fruit of David's ministry. I feel a little bit about that. Uh, last Sunday, I ran Rome Marathon with a friend and, and you may be impressed by what I did. Thank you very much. Um, but, but my friend Jez ran it in a gladiator's outfit with a cape. That's much more impressive. Uh, and I feel a little bit like that now as I talk about the, the kind of leaders that God's releasing. I wish I borrowed Jez's cape for this morning. I'll have to ask him for it. Listen, there's fruit in David's leadership development, even in the cave, because you read by chapter 27, he's got 600 men with him now. He's gone from four to 600. He's growing a trained force in this kind of environment where others would say nothing's impossible. Nothing will grow here. You can't find leaders in a place like this. 
Well, if David could run a leadership school from the cave, I think we can try in the grace of God to release many sons and daughters for the kingdom here in Crawley who, who know who they are, who live to exalt Jesus, who will strengthen this local church and get flung out into the nations from here. That's what we're expecting of you. That's why we teach these kinds of series and pray and work in the way we do. And just look at the nature and the origin of these so-called mighty men. Verse 2. Look at how they're described, the categories of people who are listed, the distressed, those in debt, the discontented. Wow, sounds like a really bad kind of emo band from the 80s, doesn't it? The discontented with those kind of long fringes and big lacy cuffs and miserable expressions. Um, the discontented. I wonder who you are looking for. You know, when someone joins the church, we think, wow, they look like they're amazingly gifted. Now, these are the kinds of people God sends to strengthen local churches. Paul says the same in 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many. That means there are some that are wise here. We're, we're grateful for that. Ken, we're grateful for your wisdom. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but not many of us are wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. are. You can just nudge the person next to you and say, welcome to the cave, I'll be your friend. <laughs> this is who we are. This is what we look like. Um, it, it, the weak, the dispossessed, the, the foolish, the non-influencers. I don't care how many followers you've got on Instagram. We're not really influencers. We're the very opposite of how the world looks for leadership gifting. We saw that even at the beginning for David when he was overlooked for his other brothers. Oh yeah, I think we've got one more who's tending the sheep. But this is who God looks for. You're amongst the chosen. You've been chosen out of this bunch. I, I think it's wonderful. One of our most fruitful evangelists right now in our efforts come through a refugee um, journey. Who would have looked for an evangelist for Crawley from that background? And yet that's who God has given us. I think it's amazing that one of our elders today in Danny came from another continent and a little bit like David with his parents had to say to someone else, him and Giovanna, for the best part of the year, will, will you care for our children while we come and restart our life in the UK and we'll just see whether God has anything for us there. Who would have looked for an elder for this church from that kind of background? I think it's amazing that our Alpha course has been led in part by a couple who probably two years ago didn't even know Jesus and by their own testimony were under anxiety and overwhelmed with fear. Who picks these kinds of people for these kinds of tasks? Hey, let me tell you, Jesus picks you. Jesus chooses you. Jesus redeems us. Wow, wonderful. Distress, debt, discontent. This is a picture of the kingdom family that we're looking at. Jesus declared in Luke chapter 4 when he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah and said the kingdom of God is breaking out amongst you. He said the kingdom's here and I've come to proclaim the good news to the poor, the poor in spirit. I've come to declare freedom for the prisoners. I've come to give sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. Jesus is declaring to cave dwellers, the cave crowd. That's who he's come for. David's band of brothers here points us to Jesus and his church. Matthew 11, 25 to 30. Jesus invites the discontented and the distressed to come to him. He's a greater David. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you 
Anyone know that passage? I'll give you rest. If you don't know it, let me tell you this morning. Jesus invites you to come with all your heavy burdens. You'll find rest in him. Here at David's cave, with these weak men and women, we find the gospel. We find the good news of Jesus. Jesus still inviting the weak, the dispossessed, the troubled, those in debt. Hey, we're all in debt with sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe some are in debt with their finances and maybe some have crushed spirits. We we come from a generation that's so lost and broken. These, These phrases of David's men describe our symptoms so well. That discontented spirit, however much you chase after comforts in life, you just never quite feel like you get there. In your inner being, hey, come to Jesus. It's more than overcoming tough circumstances. The Bible says we're trapped in our sin. We have a a debt we can never pay. We're never able truly to be home. We'll always be outsiders and outcasts. Yet Jesus says to us, come to me. Come and be at home with the Lord. Come and live life in relationship with me. Um, Come and live life in all its fullness. Jesus talks about abundant life. Listen, if, if discontent is a discontentment, is a fruit that grows in our lives when we're outside of Jesus, then what kind of fruit does life with Jesus produce? The fruit of the Spirit, joy and peace for a start. In the inner man, Paul says, may you be filled with all the fullness of Christ. We get to come to Jesus. When we pray in a moment, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm going I'm to come to the front and say, I want to receive the Holy Spirit. I want more of this true life of abundance that Jesus promises. So David's being chased around the mountain. He's under stress. Maybe you're unsure right now. Maybe you feel some of that harassment in your life. Hey, we can find rest in Jesus. I've loved hearing some of the testimonies of our uh, Iranian brothers and sisters who've come to Christ recently. And they've all spoken, come from a Muslim background, but, but they've, they've all said, if you, have you noticed in their testimonies, we've come into peace. We've come to a religion of peace. We've come to true love from a father who loves us. Come into this new community. It's what it's like to come into true refuge. Wow, some of these guys are still in a cave in so many ways, and, and yet they've, they've found something so precious. The lights have come on in their cave. Oh, we pray for you guys. We pray for anyone from that background that you might find true refuge in Jesus. You might even now not only find refuge, but find strength and healing and a sense of purpose and mission. Listen, let me tell you all here today, God has a purpose for your lives, and he will Fulfill it as we cooperate with him. Most of us haven't got the attention of the world. Um, Many of us will feel like life hasn't really worked out as we thought it might. Um, Loads of us will carry pain and scars. We've taken a few hits and suffered losses and griefs of all kinds. But we're just the kind of people the true king gathers to himself in order to fulfill his purposes in the world. Amen. Well, it's just worth noticing, I think, a couple of family matters here before we before we pray. Um, David's brothers come to him here at Adullam. These brothers, when we were earlier in the story, seem to be against David. Um, now they have turned to him. I don't know whether it's because they're also outcasts. Saul's angry with David, trying to kill David. Probably his family are at risk as well. Maybe they recognize something of the call of God in their little brother. It reminds me of the moment in Egypt, um, Genesis 45, where Joseph's brothers, who meant to harm him, they beat him and sold him into slavery. 
they were angered at what they saw, his kind of naive arrogance in saying he was going to be a leader amongst God's people. Now in Genesis 45, uh, as they emerge from their own cave, they come to their brother Joseph and, and receive his leadership. It's that kind of moment here, maybe at Adullam's cave. Maybe it's like Jesus with his mother uh, and brothers. There's an extraordinary moment in Mark 3 where it looks like Jesus' mother and brothers are concerned even about Jesus' own um, mental health and well-being. Um, they, they try and take him away from his call. He's overworking himself. He's with the crowds all the time. They didn't seem to understand. But you read on in this story, Acts 1.14. Jesus has ascended into heaven, having overcome sin and death on the cross and been raised to life. And obediently, the disciples are waiting in the upper room to receive the promised Holy Spirit. Who do you find in the upper room? Jesus' mother and brothers. The very ones that were in confusion a few chapters before, three years before, now waiting for the Holy Spirit, knowing that, that Mary, knowing her son Jesus, is the ascended King of glory. Wow. It's how it is here for David, maybe in some small way. Listen, we recognize for some of you who've got unsaved members of your family, people that live in your home, people that are dear to your heart that don't yet know Jesus. It can feel so hard, I'm sure. You can be alone and misunderstood. I recognize there can be a strain sometimes, even on your closest relationships. Let me tell you today, these passages teach us God is doing something in your family. The story isn't finished yet. Okay, take heart. There's a few more chapters to turn over before we see what God is fully doing. Secondly, I think we see David's care for his parents. This ragtag bunch of misfits, David's mum and dad are there as well. Um, and David takes them out of harm's way. He arranges safe care for them. He puts them with the Moabite king. I think that was a safe king. I think David's grandmother or great-grandmother, um, Ruth, was a Moabite. And uh, David honours his parents. He fulfills the, the law, the Ten Commandments, by honouring his mum and dad. They're also at risk through no fault of their own because their son David is on the, the run. I love David's honest doubt. Can you just look after my mum and dad until I know what the Lord will do for me? Okay, there's, there's, there's kind of, it's an ambiguous phrase, isn't it? He knows God's doing something, but he's not quite sure how it's going to work out yet. He knows he's called to kingship and he's holding on to that promise, but he's aware of the reality of his circumstances. And so he makes this beautiful provision for his mum and dad. Again, our family circumstances. I don't know what your circumstances are right now, but let me tell you, they are not a distraction to the kingdom work of God in your life. They're not stopping you being part of what God is doing whilst you care for those around you. In fact, the caring is part of the kingdom assignment as well as we grow a kingdom family. It's part of the package. We honour God and we worship him by honouring our parents or caring for our kids or working on our marriage and building our friendships. We don't stop the mission because of our family circumstances any more than I say, oh yeah, my parents are getting a bit older now or I've just had a, a baby and um, I've got young children to care for. Of course we've got to have wisdom in our boundaries and our time commitments but, but and, and of course these precious people are our assignment but our family care and our honouring of one another is part of the adventure together. I think there are two dangers for the Western church. One is that we say I, I, I can't engage with what God's doing. I need, I need kind of two years out because I've got a family. Or the other extreme is that we neglect our family because we're so engaged in the kingdom fight. Both of those are sinful. Neither of those build with integrity. Neither of those are what David does here. David shows us, no, we love, we care, we provide, we fight, we advance the kingdom. I wonder how about you and me right now? Hey, finally, David became the captain over them. 
Let's get ready to pray. He's got nothing to offer. He's just got this riches of friendship. He's obviously got some big picture vision. Um, he's got impossible faith. He's got some anointing on him. Saul's the one with all the cards, all the power, all the cards in his favor. Why would, why would people join David? He's the kind of Robin Hood. He's the outlaw. It's a death sentence to go be with David. But here at David's court is real life. Not the toxicity. I couldn't say that when I tried earlier. Not the stifling control, the rotten, slow death in the court of Saul. Here at David's cave, not the court of the palace of the king, but at David's cave is where the opportunities are for life to be rekindled, for broken people to be restored, for the crushed in spirit to find their purpose again. When we read back in the Old Testament, Joshua 5.14, Joshua is about to go into Jericho and it says he meets the captain or the commander of the army of the Lord. And the, the commander of the army of the Lord says, hey, Joshua, you're on holy ground. Take off your shoes. Uh, we, we finished today on some holy, holy ground because David, the captain, points us to Jesus, the captain. Jesus is the commander of heaven's armies. And he's the captain of our hearts and our minds and our actions today and in the future. I want to ask you today whether you've whether you've lived as a follower of Jesus for years or whether it's the first time, will you come again under the captaincy of Jesus today? Will you ask him today to lead you with his wisdom? Will you ask him today to fight your battles for you? Will you ask him today to lead you under his banner? Jesus is the one who cares supremely for his friends and his family. Jesus is the one, even at the foot of the cross, he spoke down to his friend John and said, will you look after my mother, even as he's about to die on the cross? This is the nature of Jesus, our captain. This is the story and the kingdom adventure. Dave said it earlier, that we've signed up for. We're a part of now when we came to Jesus in repentance and faith. We come to a cave, actually. We'll see that in two weeks' time on Easter Sunday. We come to the cave tomb of Jesus Christ, where the true King of glory, the true son of David, was buried for three days. He didn't escape the cave like David did, but he gave himself up for our sakes. Jesus humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. When Jesus' friends came to the cave tomb three days later, he wasn't there. He'd been raised to life. Hebrews 2 tells us Jesus suffered in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. And so just as David, the king and the captain, suffered before he pioneered, so the son of David, Jesus Christ, the true and great captain, the eternal king, he suffered and even died before bringing many multitudes of sons and daughters to glory. David leads us to Jesus. David went into a cave and brought many out with him into his future kingdom. Jesus went down into the cave of death for three days and comes out with a multitude. No one can number many sons of daughters for glory, including the likes of you and me. Hallelujah. Can we stand together, please? Uh, where's the band? Are you around? Can you come and help us? This is a story we're in. We're raising sons and daughters, not for comfort, but to follow Jesus into his call and adventure. Wow, hallelujah. Will you make Jesus your captain, your commander today here in the cave? Are there any here, just while we've got our eyes closed, just saying, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus, even for the first time. Just put your hand up. Maybe you've been away from God for a while and you say, no, today I've got to make Jesus the captain of my life. Can you just put your hand up high where I can see you now? 
Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any others today who are just going to be brave and say, yeah, Jesus, I'm making you the commander of my life. Oh, praise God. We thank you so much for that. Thank you, Jesus. And for the rest of us, you can put your hand down now. Thank you. In fact, keep it up because I'm going to say for the rest of us, let's put our hands up. Come on, Lord. We, we say we want to follow you. We're here for you. We, we just agree again today. Maybe we've prayed it for decades, but you're our captain. You're our leader here in the cave that we're in whatever our circumstances. We thank you that in, in this place of refuge, you fill us and flood us and lead us out into your purposes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow, thank you, Lord. You might have some really personal things you just want to pray through. Take some moments now. The Holy Spirit's here. There's a couple of things I want us to do in a moment in terms of pray. But maybe just for you, I, hey, there's some thoughts I've got to take captive. There's some strongholds I've got to tear down. I'm just going to worship and sing and just align my 